0: This is the Daily Lectionary Comments for September the 7th. We're going to look at uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning at verse 38. We see Elisha taking care of the prophets of the Lord, and we are introduced to Naaman, a Gentile, to whom Elisha reaches out uh, in mercy. We're also going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul speaks about spiritual warfare. All right, 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning at verse 38. You've got to understand that the general context that we've been talking about. We're in the north, in the, in the northern rebellious uh, uh, tribes. So these, these are the these are the tribes that are not remaining loyal to the house of David. Their king is a um, uh, an adversarial king to the house of David, and Elisha is a prophet of the Lord, which means he's in the minority in the north. We see a couple of examples of Elisha as a prophet of the Lord, minority in the north, taking care of the other prophets of the Lord who are in the north, who are also minorities. This is a time of famine, so we have a couple of instances where uh, we see that Elisha is taking care of his fellow prophets of the Lord. Not unlike how he took care of the widows and things like that, uh, that while apostate... um, Uh, Israel continues to follow after the sin of Jeroboam and continues to follow their own rival uh, religions and their own rival prophets and their own rival uh, temples uh, behind the scenes. God is quietly taking care of those who are faithful to him. So in the first instance, we have a famine. uh, A a stew is prepared. This be a lot of food, by the way, because we have a lot of uh, men here who are going to be eating and the, the the stew essentially gets accidentally poisoned, and when uh, when they begin to taste the stew, uh, the, the 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 prophets some, one or more of them began to realize there's something wrong with this. We can't eat this. They say that there's death in that pot. But, what they mean is that it's poison. It'll kill us. Some poisonous uh, uh, herbs or fruit or something uh, was gathered from the from the woods and put in there inadvertently, but. We see that Elisha, just like he he healed the toxic water in the village uh, a couple of lessons ago, now and today he essentially heals this pot of stew, saves all that food so that the men could eat. And then we have a situation where, kind of uh, similar to how Jesus fed the 5,000 and the 4,000 and a few loaves and fishes, Uh, we have a gift that is brought uh, to Elijah of some loaves and flour. And uh, and he tells uh, he tells the givers of the gift to set it before the men of God. There's not nearly enough to feed them. But like with the oil and the widow, um, it, it never runs out. Like with the widow of Zarephath, the, the flower never runs out. And here we have the food, never runs out. And the prophets of the Lord are taken care of in the midst of shall we say enemy territory so those are the first two uh, little miracles here the third we're set up for a miracle we haven't got to it yet but we meet naaman naaman is a commander a syrian commander um a syrian is a gentile so he is not of israel or judah but uh he's heard through the grapevine he has leprosy and he's heard through the grapevine that that he can be healed Uh, a a former uh, uh, Israelite who'd been captured, a young lady, tells him about a prophet in Israel who can heal him. And so Naaman goes uh, to the the, the king of Israel. He goes to the king of Israel because he naturally assumes that whatever prophet can do such a thing must somehow or another be in, in good stead with the king. Sort of like how the Magi went to uh, Jerusalem and Herod, when they wanted to see the Christ, and what they found out actually is they actually went to his enemy, um, and so the king receives Naaman, but he thinks that it's a trick, uh, and uh, and he has no way of of healing this this uh, this man, but uh, it turns out Elisha hears about this, and Elisha says, "Come and send Naaman to me." This is a real slap against the king because. Uh, essentially, Elisha says, uh, send Naaman to me so that he may know that uh, there is a prophet in Israel, um, which is ironic because Israel's king did not know that there was a prophet in Israel because it turns out that the king of Israel uh, is uh, actually adversarial and antagonistic to uh, uh, to the prophet of the Lord. At any rate, so that uh, that finishes uh, for uh, Second Kings. T- n- tomorrow we're going to learn what happens with Naaman, uh, an interesting story to which Jesus alludes uh, in uh, in Matthew. Or, excuse me, in Luke chapter four. All right, Ephesians chapter six. First, Paul deals with the issue of parents and children. Um, when we talked about this a long time ago, we talked about the the nature of the fourth commandment. Uh, that commands uh, obedience in order to honor one's father and mother. And, and Paul alludes to that here and says and orders children to obey your parents in the Lord. And then he cites the, this, uh, the fourth commandment, honor your father and mother. Now, um, note that the, the expression in the Lord, that is because of your relationship with the Lord and because of their relationship with the Lord, you are to obey them. Now, as with the fourth commandment, the purpose of the fourth commandment was not just to command children to obey. It was to command children to receive what their parents delivered to them. And the most important thing that parents were to deliver to their children was knowledge of the word of God and bring them up in the covenant of the Lord. So it was assumed that the uh, children who were honoring their parents were receiving their from their parents whom they are honoring the very word of God and life with God through their parents. That is exactly what Paul is getting at here. That's why he begins by saying, children, obey your parents in the Lord, cites the fourth commandment, and then he says, fathers, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So in other words, um, children are commanded to receive the wisdom of God from their parents, and the parents are commanded to deliver the wisdom of God from the Lord to their children, and so that's how that's supposed to happen here. Then he talks about slaves and masters. I just really want to say one thing about this. Um, Slavery was a real institution in the ancient world, even in Israel, Um, and the the scriptures do not uh, overthrow it but understand that slavery in the ancient world and particularly in Israel was nothing like what we Americans associate with slavery. Slavery in the ancient world usually was because of debt or it was because you were a prisoner of war and it was an act of mercy, you would be killed or we could take you as prisoner, which do you prefer? Think about the young lady in, in uh, uh, the Naaman story who said, I know somebody uh, in my land where I was taken. She was a prisoner of war and had become a slave uh, in, in Naaman's household, and that's why she was there. Now, uh, sometimes you would have individuals who would who would agree to be a permanent slave, but what you did not have is a whole class of people who were permanent slaves, and it was not racial. So there was, there, there was no race that was just considered to be permanently a slave or even temporarily a slave on the basis of race. Uh, race just doesn't enter into the picture in Scripture anywhere. Ethnicity oftentimes does, but not race. And at any rate, uh, there is no such thing as one person owning forever and always another person and their children and their children's children, and this is just the way it's going to be. So, uh, however, note that the way Paul deals with masters and slaves um, goes a long way to ameliorate what could become an abusive relationship. He tells the slave, the Christian slave, serve your master, your Christian master, genuinely. And he uh, actually, he's not just talking about a Christian master. He is talking about a Christian slave should serve your master genuinely. Then he talks to Christian masters, and he says to the master, you are to be kind to your slaves and remember that you and your slave have one and the same judge, and God shows no partiality. So there is this sense in which, okay, they're your slave here on earth in a certain sense, but in the greater sense, no. You are not better than them, and you are not above them. You have responsibilities to them, and you must maintain uh, that, uh, uh, your, your, uh, your responsibilities before the Lord. Now then Paul talks about spiritual warfare, it's a a sudden change in in the conversation he's gone through a list of things where he's applying the word of god to various family situations and social situations and then he says in in uh, verse 10 finally be strong in the lord and in the strength of his might put on the whole armor of god that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, this we must all understand, we Christians, that the nature of the fight, the kingdom coming into the world and the fight, is not a fight of flesh and blood. That what is really behind all of this are spiritual forces and spiritual powers, and we must fight them with spiritual power. Paul talks about the various ways in which a Christian ought to arm themselves with, with faith, for example, and 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 um, likewise. But but the one thing that he says uh, in this whole uh, armor of God uh, that he describes um, is is the sword. The sword is an offensive weapon that a soldier uses to attack, and in this case, for the Christian, the offensive weapon that we have, we use to attack is the word of God. All the other things that he describes are defensive. It's to protect us against the devil and his schemes. But the word of God is not only defensive, but it is also offensive. It rescues people from the hands of the devil and drives the devil away. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, the scripture says. And the word of God is very powerful in this regard. So we are fighting a spiritual battle primarily And we Christians must never, ever lose sight of that so that even if everything looks peaceful and lovely and wonderful and calm in the world around us, we Christians see another battle going on. It may not be peaceful and calm around us at all. It might be quite dangerous and hazardous to ourselves and to our children and to the community. Likewise, sometimes things can be going very badly in the world around us. And yet we might realize that the word of God is powerfully in our lives and taking care of us. This is not a war between flesh and blood, and we must never forget that and leave ourselves unarmed against the real threats to our life while arming ourselves with money and physical health and ignore the real dangers.